Thank you for listening to Christian Family Church Podcast. Here at CFC, our mission is to live and communicate the power of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ to the world around us. From wherever you're listening, we hope you'll be encouraged by this week's message. Pray that what you have prepared in me would be used to... um, bless those and to lift people up and to bring them back to your mercy, Father. Amen. All right, I'm going to get straight to the, the goal of today's message. We're, we're, um, we've been watching the Olympics at home and the girls have uh, the girls and I have been enjoying, especially the archery. Um, there's something meditative about about watching those guys and girls, just the concentration, the dedication, the hundreds of arrows a week that they shoot, um, and all focused on making that arrow arc through whatever the weather conditions are to that bullseye at the other end. And we saw one of the guys, I think the Italian... One of the Italian competitors break the camera in the, that's placed in the bull's, bullseye um, during the week. The goal, Romans 12, 17 to 21. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge. My dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's the bullseye. The question is, how am I going to do that? (laughs) Um, How are you going to do that? Even harder, how are we as a church separated at the moment into our little houses? How, How are we going to do that? What does this... I've got a few examples of what the bullseye does not look like. I remember, I, I remember growing up with my brother Adam. Um, he's 18 months younger than me and like many brothers that close in age, competition was fierce. Uh, we didn't have archery, but there was other stuff. Um, unless, of course, one of us proved ourselves far superior in a certain area and the other one would kind of just, you know, let them have it. Um, he was especially good at track and, and field type stuff and I was good at swimming. But Adam has always had a great capacity for commitment to what he enjoys. He learned the benefit of practice and hard work early and applied it in school, in sport and in music while I got used to skating by on my natural talents and abilities. At some point, whether because of competitiveness or something else happening inside of me, um, jealousy probably, that started to come out in a really horrible way. 
I started bad-mouthing my brother to other people. When people would ask about Adam, I would focus on his failures, maybe stuff I only knew from home. Um, I'd pick out his faults, talk about his inadequacies, wherever I could find them. It started out unconsciously, probably in my early teens, but at, as time went on, it got worse. I would misrepresent him. I don't know what kind of power I thought I was gaining or what kind of pain I might have been feeling underneath this behaviour, but at some point I noticed, or more likely somebody brought it to my attention, I noticed that I was doing this and that Adam was starting to get revenge by imitating my behaviour. I had to ask myself a question. Why am, I, why am I doing this? Why am I speaking lies? Why am I telling half-truths? Why am I colouring the facts to misrepresent my brother? Why? Because somehow my identity was tied up in being smarter, stronger and better than Adam. Now, competitive relationships can be really positive when we are competing in order to learn to be better at something and when we truly celebrate each other's wins. But if your relationships are based only in competition and especially in unequal competition to the point where cheating, sabotaging or shaming the other becomes the goal, then you're veering towards abuse and someone in that relationship is getting hurt. And that relationship will begin to spiral into pain and poison and pus. I could, and I started to see that that was where we were headed. It was not a bullseye. It was not even on the target. I remember when I was first released onto Victorian roads as a peeplater, without anyone to supervise me and free to drive myself, a change started to come over me. Cars would start to do really annoying things. They'd cut me off. I just lost my place for a second. They drive too slowly in front of me, come up behind me too quickly or too close. Stop too suddenly. They'd overtake me before the traffic light and then slow down at the amber when we had clearly had plenty of time to make it through. I began to notice that traffic was making me angry, very angry. And I'm talking Melbourne traffic, like even 20 years ago, but still was bad. Um, most of the time, I couldn't see the people around me, just the cars. And these cars were in my way, slowing me down, putting me in danger, making mistakes, driving stupidly. In all my experience and wisdom as a peeplater, it was clearly their fault. Eventually, I noticed that this was happening in me. I could feel myself getting angry as soon as I got in the car. I was getting ready for that first opportunity to let fly at someone. When I got back out of the car, I would switch back to everyday me. I'd, I had to come to a place where I started asking myself another question. Why am I so angry? Why am I yelling at other vehicles? Why am I cursing them? 
Why am I free to verbally abuse them? Why am I tailgating someone who's cut me off? Why do I have to beat some random guy to the merge lane, to the lights? Why am I, why am I behaving like I want to kill these people, like they don't matter, like they're just objects? In fact, it got to me that, that Jesus equated this kind of anger with murder, with seeking somebody's blood. Again, not a bullseye, not even on the target, not overcoming evil with good. I remember many times in my marriage with Joe, um, we had arguments, I guess, right from the start about lots of different things. How to do the laundry, how to separate the laundry, how to hang the laundry up, how to, how to do the dishes, how to cook dinner, what to have for dinner, um, where to go when we got too angry to cook dinner. Um, Joe and I had very different strategies for dealing with conflict especially when that conflict started to feel personal. As a couple, you also quickly learn how to push each other's buttons and you know exactly where those buttons are. And you really know where those super sensitive ones are. And if you want to hurt the other one because you've just realised that they might actually be right about that, um, you just have to push right there and and of course you can also keep holding on to that argument or hurt for later to use against them next time of course I realised that this was not good Um, we both realised that this was not good and I had to ask myself why am I doing the things that keep this conflict going why am I perpetuating this Why have I turned an argument about where to have dinner into one about how that last sentence wasn't grammatically correct and doesn't actually make sense? Why am I referring to her annoying habits or bringing up old wounds? Why? Not a bullseye, not even on the target. Why am I like this? Why are we like this? Paul says of us in Romans 3, 10 to 18, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. These little things, these seem like little problems. But they they are massive in our relationships with other people. How do I how do I move from here? 
where I'm spiteful, murderous and hostile? How do I move from here to a place where I can actually hit the target, where I can repay evil done to me with good? How do I replace cursing someone with actual, real, heartfelt blessing? As Paul says in Romans 7, 24 and 25, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. I had to realise that I needed to speak the truth to myself, about myself. In each of the situations I've mentioned, with the jealousy of my brother, with my anger, with prolonging and escalating conflicts with Joe, the starting place was to recognise and acknowledge that I was in the wrong, that what I was doing, that how I was feeling, reflected something that was broken in me. Here Paul calls it this body that is subject to death. In Christianese and in different Bible translations, you'll hear it called the flesh, the old nature, the sinful nature. According to Paul, what I needed was to be delivered through Jesus Christ, but I was already a Christian. The deliverance that I needed, that I still need, is the transformation he talks about at the beginning of Romans chapter 12. We went to the end of Romans chapter 12 at the start, the bullseye. This is how you set up for the target. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as, living, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. I don't know if you... Sorry, I just told you that these verses begin the same chapter that we started earlier. How we get from repaying evil with evil to repaying evil with good is through a transformation that God will work in us through the renewing of our minds. But what does this transformation look like? Now, I have to do a little Bible geeky thing here and show you a slide of Romans 12, 1 to 2 so you can see this. That up, Matt. Great. Um, you can see that Paul has written these phrases, and these are the phrases in the Greek, um, as in this is English, but it's the same order in the Greek interlinear that I looked up. Um, he has written this in a little chiasm, which means that the s- similar ideas are paired but work towards the center. And I've highlighted them so you can see the pairs. According to the structure, you can see that worship of God is at the centre. This is your true and proper worship. Holy and pleasing to God pairs up with do not conform to the pattern of this world and offer your bodies as a living sacrifice pairs up with be transformed. And Renewing your mind pairs up with in view of God's mercy. In fact, 
There's a way, and I'm not going to do it here, but you can actually show that the whole of Romans 12 works as a little chiasm like that. It works towards the centre around our roles, um, the roles of, of us in the church. But I'm not going to do that today. So what does transformation look like according to Romans 12? It looks like offering your bodies as living sacrifices. Every ministry of the church and every good deed in the rest of the chapter is meant to flow out of this offering of ourselves as living sacrifices towards the goal, towards the target of overcoming evil with good. The attitudes and efforts of every person who participates in the church is meant to flow out of this offering of ourselves as living sacrifices. And to be able to overcome evil with good, we must offer our bodies, we must offer ourselves as living sacrifices. So what does a living sacrifice look like? How are we enabled to overcome evil with good? According to Paul, in order to be transformed, our minds need to be renewed and we renew them in view of God's mercies. In order to do this, you must rest in your identity in Christ. Living sacrifices rest in their identity in Christ. You are a child of God's mercy. No matter how together your life may be or how falling apart, no matter how much victory you have over past sins or how much you're regretting what you did last night, no matter how powerful your gifting in the Holy Spirit or how it feels like you haven't seen him in a while. No matter how hard you work, no matter how competent you are at what you do, you are a child of God's mercy first. It is by his mercy that he sees you clean and perfected in Christ. It is by his mercy that he shapes you for what he has called you to become. It is an act of his mercy that he calls you his own. J.I. Packer, um, Canadian author, I believe, wrote and theologian, wrote a book called Knowing God, where he said, were I to focus the New Testament message in three words, three words to focus all of the New Testament message, my proposal would be adoption through propitiation. We'll get to propitiation in a second. Don't, don't freak out on me, I know. And I do not expect ever to meet a richer or more pregnant summary of the gospel than that. He means pregnant as in full and ready to just, something that really needs to be unpacked. Um, adoption. You who were once an enemy of God are made to be a child of God. You become his heir. You get all the promises of all the mercies of God that are in Scripture. 
And you get this through propitiation. Now, that's a word you used every day this week, isn't it? Oh, I was an hour late to work because I broke down and my phone was dead. The boss was super angry. I worked all through lunch to try and propitiate him. Mate, my wife's going to kill me for forgetting her birthday. What should I give her as a propitiation? Hey, could you propitiate for me this afternoon? I've got a dentist appointment. Don't worry, mate, I've got you back. Propitiation. Mm, We should use it more often and get it into the lingo. It is the price that is paid. It is the offering that is given. It's the act that is performed to cover the wrong, the sin, the missing of the target, whatever is lacking, and to turn away any anger or displeasure. By the way, what should I get my wife? (laughs) Um, Put your answers in the comments. Um, (laughs) But in God's case, the main mercy... The main mercy we have in view is that he paid the cost of propitiation. He paid the cost to cover our sin permanently. He paid the cost for our adoption. What did it cost him to adopt us as his children? It cost him his son. This is, this is a God who pays heard something a couple of weeks ago um, was just if someone tells you that uh, I'm trying to remember how to say it just remember that you know the love of God is there on the cross um, it cost it cost him it is not he does not just overlook your, our sins willy-nilly. It, it cost. Jesus, who was born and who lived as the first living sacrifice and who died so that the only sacrifice we have to make is to be transformed into his likeness as living sacrifices ourselves. To be transformed into living sacrifices, Paul says, we begin renewing our minds in view of God's mercies. In the first part of Romans, Paul lays out 11 chapters to explain what the mercies of God are and what the mercies of God are and what they mean for us. He goes through a bunch of questions that he knows that you're going to be asking. But he finishes, like we started this morning, with praise of God for all his mercies. To be transformed by the renewal of your mind is to dive deeply into the mercies of God, to stand in awe of knowing that no matter what you have done, he has called you to be his child because he has done everything to make that possible. Rest in the fact that you are a child because of God's mercy. In so many ways, this is the purpose of Bible reading, Bible studying, Christian theology, prayer, preaching, to know God and to be changed in light of his mercies as he reveals them in his word. 
as we press into God, there are, there are two parts to this change. Throughout the whole Bible, there are these impossible lists of commandments and exhortations to live lives that could only be described as perfect. A life like Jesus, a life that reflects God. These lists are the standards of goodness we are told are met by God and that we would meet and that we meet in relationship with him. These lists are not meant as condemnation, but as revelation of how good God is and just how much his mercy overcomes as it extends to us. They are to make us desperate for him to do such wonderful things in us that we would look like people like this. And in the list in Romans 12, we are asked to become desperate that God would empower us in every way to overcome evil with good. just go through some of the some of the parts of Romans 12 Um, you use out use your gifts according to your faith if you're teaching if your gift is teaching let you teach if it's encourage encourage if it's giving to others give generously if it's if it's leadership govern diligently if it is showing mercy Let him do it cheerfully. Your love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Right in the center there. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in COVID, sorry. Affliction, affliction. Faithful in prayer, share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Practice hospitality, that is hard right now. But some of us have kids that we need to open up more space in our hearts for, especially when they're homeschooling. Um, Some of us need to, some of us can reach out through the phone, through the internet, through Zoom, and make contact. Make space in your life for mercy. And the list finishes where we started. You know, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I don't speak badly of my brother anymore. In God's mercy, I was able to make space in my life for mercy. In fact, as a 15-year-old, when I realised how toxic my jealousy was, I turned away from it. it actually, and it took hard work. I had to investigate where on earth this was all happening and why this was coming out of me. I had to get honest with myself and I had to speak the truth to myself. I also had to look for opportunities to speak well of my brother 
And I didn't have to look too hard for those, honestly. Um, I even spoke well of him to others in his presence. And then, then things really began to change. Transforming my relationship with the traffic meant learning a lot of patience, backing off, slowing down. I started creatively trying to figure out acceptable excuses for why they might be driving like that. I reminded myself that they are not just cars, that they are people made in the image of God who need mercy, just like me. And for me and Joe, we still have arguments and discussions, um, but most of them end in more laughter than anything else often at how ridiculous we can be. Um, and we are ridiculous. But it took time for me to learn how to hold back from pressing those buttons. Now, these might seem like small miracles, but most of all of them, but almost all of them took, well, no, all of them took a lot of speaking the truth to myself about myself, about what I was doing wrong, as a teenager, as a pea and as a husband. They, also, they began with me deciding to offer my body as a living sacrifice. And they took a desperate pressing in and resting in my identity in Christ as his child by his mercy. I had to rely on God as I pressed deeper and deeper into his mercy for me. Questions I want to leave you with are how much transformation are you willing to undergo in order to bring wholeness and healing and peace into your relationships? Are you ready to see yourself honestly, speak the truth to yourself and, and accept, not just and and off to the side, and accept that God has paid for all of that for you to be his child. He, ha he, he has paid everything to make you a child of his mercy. Will you look into the face of God's mercy and press into him as you seek to overcome any evil in, in you with good? Father, I just... I thank you for today. I pray that you, would, um, that you would help us to hit the target. You would, um, I, thank you that, I thank you that it is impossible, it is so impossible to hit that target that we have to rest in you and acknowledge that we are trying to do this only in your mercy, that you are our strength and our empowerment. May you give us your spirit to come alongside us, to train us, to, <sighs> sorry, I was just thinking of that line. Um, it's God who trains my hands for battle, uh, my arms to bend a bow of bronze. Um, yes, Father. Help us, to, help us to aim for love for others, to overcome evil with good, to bless others. Help us, help us go the extra mile during this lockdown 
um, but not outside of our five kilometer radius. Um, yeah, just help us to press into you to find those quiet spaces. I spent, you know, I spent um, part of yesterday in the car, in the driveway, um, working on the sermon and stuff just to find a quiet space. Thank you, God, for Joe inside with the girls. Thank you, God, for Joe at home with the girls now. Um, Father, I just pray that you would help us press into your mercy Um, read your word, be challenged and changed by your word and learn bit by bit, day by day, start getting closer and closer to that bullseye to love one another. In Jesus' name.